Okay, well, welcome everyone. Um, I forgot to read the poem before the the um, uh, um, meditation, so I'm going to start the talk this morning with a poem, and just to kind of set the stage a little bit for where I'm coming from with the talk. So it's called The Cure for It All by Julia Fehrenbacher. Go gently today. Don't hurry or think about the next thing. Walk with the quiet trees. Can you believe how brave they are? How kind? Model your life after theirs. Blow kisses to yourself in the mirror, especially when you think you've messed up. Forgive yourself for not meeting your unreasonable expectations. You're human, not God. Don't be arrogant. Praise fresh air, clean water, good dogs. Spin something from joy. Open a window, even if it's cold outside. Sit, close your eyes, breathe, allow the river of it all to pulse through eyelashes, fingertips, bare toes. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe until you feel your bigness, until the sun rises in your veins. Breathe until you stop needing anything to be different. Okay, now I have to find my talk. Let's see here. Sorry about this. There we go. Okay. So, um, this is our second month focusing on the three poisons. And last month we focused on greed. This month we're focusing on hatred. And um, last week, Lyndall started us out by giving us kind of an overview of how the Buddha looked at hatred and why it's important to look at it and just kind of a general welcome to hatred. And I'm going to continue with, with some of the ways I respond to hatred and some of our teachers um, also. So just some ideas that uh, seemed important to me. Um, First of all, just saying our topic this morning is hatred is hard. It's hard not to cringe a bit at the word when I see it or say it. It's easier to start with its relative, aversion, which you probably recognize as one of the five hindrances, along with sensual desire, sloth and torpor, restlessness and worry, and doubt. It's challenging when we move from the level of hindrance to poison. 
it's hard enough to face the hindrances that show up so often in our daily sits and daily life. Last month, it was difficult when we looked at how the hindrance of desire could intensify into greed, asking ourselves, haven't I gone beyond this wanting yet? We have such aspirations on the noble path, the noble eightfold path, and we have our wonderful role models of compassion like the Buddha, the Dalai Lama, Thich Nhat Hanh, Thich Nhat Hanh to name three. The Eightfold Path is based on non-harming, but we're asked to investigate the poison of hatred, or dosa in Pali. In English, the translation of dosa includes the terms anger, hatred, ill will, and an intent to harm is implied with hatred, even though that may remain unconscious or not be acted upon. Even the Pali word for aversion, patiga, gives a sense of harm. That word is translated as striking against, resistance, rejection, destruction. Pretty powerful forces we're talking about here. It is noted that, however, aversion to the unpleasant has its roots in our species' survival. The emotions of hatred, anger, and ill will can be linked to survival responses meant to protect us. So this is just to say that although our aspiration is to not act with an intent to harm, to instead develop compassion for all beings, we're probably going to run into some of our hateful feelings from time to time. This is part of the human makeup. Ajahn Lee Damodaro, one of the great 20th century Thai forest masters, wrote a piece called Demons of Defilement, which I found online at Access to Insight. In this piece, he talked about Mara, the tempter, who followed the Buddha around and tried to make him do unwholesome, harmful actions that would keep him from enlightenment. In his essay, Ajahn Lee said that it is the nature of the world that nothing is totally bad. Good and bad sides are realities that have to exist together. We have to take a stance in the middle so we can look at both sides, he said. The demons of temptation that get in the way of our practice don't always obstruct us. Sometimes they are our teachers. He goes on to say, even our enemies, when we become familiar with them, can become our friends. When we look at things in this way, both sides benefit. We benefit and our maras benefit as well. In the time of the Buddha, for instance, the sutta says the, that the Buddha got so familiar with Mara that eventually Mara was converted and felt favorably inclined to the merit and skillfulness that the Buddha had developed. And once Mara had no more power over the Buddha, he paid homage to the Buddha and found himself transported to heaven. I didn't know this. Ajahn Lee said, this is the nature of people with discernment. They can take bad things and turn them into good. I just lost my talk. Okay. Uh, the problem is that most of us want to be good, not bad. 
So bad feelings like hatred tend to stay underground. And Joseph Goldstein described hatred as an underground force that can erupt. It can erupt in war, racism, as well as in personal, even family conflicts. Maybe some of you have had the experience of the eruptive, explosive nature of anger or hate. I have. I tend to have a lot of emotional control, or some people might call it repression. But once in a while, the anger erupts in an instant, and it's out before I have time to think or hold it back. And I shock myself. What happened? In these times, I get a sense of anger and ill will as the underground force that Joseph was talking about. The thing about the path that the Buddha laid out for us is that although our goal is to be wise and compassionate, we are offered the practice of the four foundations of mindfulness so we can see the way things really are, not just see the way things should be or the way we want them to be. The first noble truth asks us to investigate the roots of suffering. We're asked to turn inward and shine a light on the dark places. And we're asked to penetrate deeply into our own suffering. And this direct knowing will lead us to wisdom and compassion. In his book, Mindfulness, Joseph Goldstein quotes C.G. Young, the famous psychiatrist, who said, One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. Along these lines, I read the transcript of a talk by Ajahn Sumedho, who is the, um, he's now 89 years old, and he's the most senior Western Theravada teacher. So he's now called Long Poor. So I'll use that when I talk about him. So the talk was called Embracing the Shadow. In this talk, Longpur describes how difficult the first months were for him after he ordained as a monk at Ajahn Chah's monastery in Thailand. He said that he sat with, quote, inexorable anger and hatred day after day for two months. But he stayed with it because he trusted that light and dark are the dualism within us. He had to accept the darkness, he said, before he could contemplate it. And because in Buddhism, immorality is acted out through action and speech, but not through thought, he was able to examine and not identify with the hateful thoughts and angry emotions that he saw. After two months, he woke up one morning and he said, there was no anger and there was no hatred. He said the mind was in a natural state of beauty because there was no repressive resistance to anything. This state lasted for several days. After a few days, though, conditions beyond his control intervened as they will and shattered his blissful state. He tried to get it back, but of course his grasping got in the way. We know that from last month. After a while, he quit trying to regain his enlightenment experience. But over the years, he continued to try to be in the moment with what became conscious. And he said he gradually started feeling, maybe not that bliss, but it was a joy, a radiant quality that he didn't make happen. 
There was no effort on his part. He said it just seemed to be a natural part of the present moment. And he called it resting in the still space, the still place, resting in the still place within. So Ajahn Sumedho's, long poor Sumedho's experience with embracing the shadows suggests that one way to transform the poison of hatred is to acknowledge that hatred is part of our nature and part of all human nature. It's better to look for its roots in us and bring it to the light for understanding. That can keep us from unconsciously acting it out or projecting it onto others. If we want to keep it from erupting into speech and actions that harms ourselves and others, we need to get close to it and be familiar with it. We need to admit that, yes, sometimes I feel hatred. Sometimes I imagine doing mean things to people I don't like. When we started this topic last month, or no, this month, I remembered writing a letter to my father when I was a teenager. He'd done something that caused my mother a lot of emotional pain, and I wanted to get back at him. I don't remember exactly what I said, but I remember what it felt like to write those sentences. I remember what it felt like to hope my words would hurt. It's hard to remember this, but it's time like this that I call up Ruth King's three characteristics mantra, not permanent, not perfect, not personal. And I try to remember that the demons are sometimes our teachers. For one, when I remember my experience with anger and hatred, I can remember that often fear and feelings of vulnerability are underneath, causing me to strike out. I can learn to have compassion for myself and forgive myself. I am a learner, still learning life's lessons. I forgive myself. When I can have compassion for myself and forgive myself, I am better able to have compassion for others and forgive them. Understanding that like me, they are human and subject to similar conditioning that might lead them to feelings of ill will rather than kindness in a given moment. Being able to acknowledge our own darkness doesn't mean that we shouldn't cultivate the goodness in ourselves. It just means that we should not despair when we see our meanness. To illustrate this, I have one more experience from Longpore Sumedho that I want to share. I heard this story in one of his talks many years ago. He told he told the story when, that when he was an abbot of Amaravati Monastery in the UK, a guest was coming to visit whom he did not like. He really didn't like this person, and he was getting quite upset about his aversion as the date of the visit approached. So he took a pen and paper and he began to write. He said that he wrote down every horrible thought that came up in his mind about this person. He filled pages, and he said he didn't censor anything. He wrote until he was done, and there were no more thoughts. And the last sentence he wrote was, I love you. As Ajahn Lee said, this is the nature of people with discernment. They can take bad things and turn them into good. 
it takes a lot of trust in yourself and the Dhamma to let go and let the ugly truth come out as Ajahn Sumedho did. Speaking for myself, I'm still pretty cautious with my anger and hatred. But I think Ajahn Sumedho's experiences show that developing a relationship with the dark side of our nature can lead to humility and motivate us to feel compassion for ourselves, to accept our weaknesses, and to forgive ourselves. And when we can show kindness and acceptance to ourselves, we are much more able to offer the same to others, even our enemies. Although it's important to let go of our aversion to aversion, we do want to reduce and ultimately eliminate all of the three poisons, including ill will. This is necessary for our liberation and for the welfare of all beings. So we need to cultivate the wholesome states and abandon the unwholesome. The Brahma Viharas of loving kindness and compassion are the antidotes to ill will. But loving your enemy is easier said than done. Although we know it's virtuous, the virtuous thing to do, it's hard to make ourselves feel love when we're feeling anger and hate. So because hatred is so poisonous, it's not surprising to find that there are many ways offered to remove it. So I'm going to share some of these just to, um, because it's hard. It's a hard thing to do. And one thing might work for you now and another thing might work in another time. So the first thing, of course, is to be mindful when aversion, even its mild forms such as irritation, start. Some examples of what this might look like. I just took some quotes from teachers who were talking about their aversion and their hatred and their irritation. And one person said that he noticed unforgiving judging or feeling righteously unhappy or blaming the conditions that caused the anger. So Joseph Goldstein had... a kind of compiled a number of ways to deal with um, anger, ill will in his book, Mindfulness. One of them is noting um, and try noting without judging. So he said, for example, he would just note ill will, ill will, ill will, and he would note it until it passed away, which then helped reinforce the understanding that these feelings are impermanent. And the impermanence of ill will can lead us to see that we're, we, are, we are not ill will. It is a mind state caused by conditions. And sometimes just saying causes and conditions can help, help give us space between ourselves and the feeling and loosen its grip on us. Causes and conditions. Causes and conditions. Joseph talked about the importance of discerning um, to the best of your ability exactly what Ill, kind of ill will um, you're, you're feeling. And he would describe a time when noting was ineffective, ineffective until he realized that his actual mind state was complaining. It wasn't ill will. Kind of like blaming things on the consequences. When he changed the label to complaining, 
the aversive mind state began to lessen. Another time at a retreat, he noticed that he couldn't stop judging other yogis. He started noting, judging, judging, judging. And it wasn't helping. He noticed how superficial his uh, judgments were. He didn't like the color of someone's sweater or they were the way another spoon, his cereal. So this time he decided to elevate his awareness. And so he said to just seeing. So instead of judging, he said seeing so that he would actually see what he was seeing and not add the judgment. And he re and that really helped him. I thought that was really interesting. When we're in the middle of an aversive state, we can also watch, watch for the proliferation of a story that feeds the aversion. And when this happens, move away from the object of the ill will, like that person who's spending too much time in the line in front of us, to the actual feeling in our body and mind of ill will. And ask ourselves, oh, let's see. So yeah, and, in, and so we can feel the unpleasant feelings like tightness and pressure and agitation in our body. And usually it's unpleasant, but sometimes we can notice an emotional pleasantness. For example, when we're feeling righteous or vindictive. And when that happens, we can ask ourselves, is there ego attachment to being right or winning? Will this lead to my peace and well-being? Will it help me see clearly and act wisely? The Buddha used a simile of a bowl of water to illustrate the negative consequences of anger. If a bowl of water were used as a mirror to see oneself, ill will would be the water heated to a boil. And through the heat of anger and hatred, it is very difficult to see clearly. When we focus on feelings of ill will instead of the object of our ill will, we can get close to the suffering it causes in us. Ajahn Sumedho says this is a moment where we can actually offer metta or compassion to ourselves for the painfulness of our mind state. And this ex helps us experience ill will and its antidote compassion side by side which can lead to the opening of our heart and the softening of our hard stance. Thich Nhat Hanh is another one who, who talked about how compassion can, um, compassion offered to our, our hatred can transform. And this is a quote, he said, we breathe and hold our anger in our arms. If you keep breathing, mindfulness, particles will infiltrate the anger. Your anger will crack and you will be able to look into its depths and see its roots. But other times we may just hit bottom and see with certainty that no good can come from our anger and resentment. Seeing the harm they cause in the world and in us and our personal relationships, we're ready to draw the line in the sand and uproot hatred from our hearts. The Burmese teacher Sayada Upandita says, pulverize the defilement, show them no mercy. And Joseph said sometimes he uses the word dead end, the words dead end, enough. 
but our minds are tricky. Once is usually not enough. The world has a lot of triggers and the habit of wanting to get rid of what we don't like is deeply ingrained. It's really another form of desire. And the mind can come up with many logical justifications for ill will and hatred, like this quote from Ajahn Chah. I like this quote from Ajahn Chah. He said, people dwell on the things they don't like again and again until a deep furrow is dug into which their mind throws itself repeatedly. One thing most of us have a hard time tolerating is injustice. It is especially easy for our minds to justify, justify turning ill will towards acts of injustice and the perpetrators of injustice. At these times, it's helpful to look at exemplars of nonviolence. The Dalai Lama, Thich Nhat Hanh, Nelson Mandela, the Buddha, or others. They show us that what it, they show us what it looks like to meet hate, not with more hate, but with love. I'm going to share an example in the closing here of Maha Gosananda, because some of you may not have heard of him. He was a Cambodian, a Theravada Buddhist monk and peace activist during the time of the Khmer Rouge genocide, when 60,000 monks were killed, leaving only 3,000 Cambodian monks, most of whom had to um, leave the country to survive. All of Gosananda's family were killed. 25% of the population was killed. And yet, Gosananda returned from, um, the reason he lived was he was not in Cambodia at the time, but he went back to Cambodia. He went back to the refugee camps. And he had a peace ministry um, teaching nonviolence to the refugees, as well as to uh, visiting the Khmer Rouge themselves and offering peace. He committed the rest of his life to promoting world peace and rebuilding Cambodia. So the last suggestion by the Buddha for abandoning hatred was to think about something else. Don't dig the furrow deeper. Chant or recite a poem. Think about the compassionate ones. And that's why I'm closing with uh, Gosananda, Maha Gosananda, just, I'm going to share a picture of him um, because he his picture just kind of, um, his testimony is uh, evidence of non-hate, I think. So rather than closing with a poem, I'm just going to give us a picture of him to, to gaze at and contemplate um, abandoning hatred. See if I can do this. Let's see here. Um, just have patience. Let's see here. There we go. Do you see his picture? <laughs> so there was a man whose entire family was killed by the Khmer Rouge. And yet he met with them and offered them Love, peace, nonviolence. We all have light and dark in us. 
So don't forget the light when you contemplate the dark. So now um, we have a, a chance to share um, in small groups and you'll have about 15 minutes and, um, you know, hatred there. I think there's a lot of response we can have to hatred. So whatever comes up, um, go for it. Okay, it looks like everybody's back. And uh, this is a time when people can share out if they'd like. Just what you shared in the room, what you're thinking about hatred. Sean and Bruce. Can you unmute? Or do I need to unmute you? No, I'm unmuted. Okay. Um. This is such a um, deep and vulnerable and frightening subject for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm entirely grateful for the people in our small group that I was able to speak to other people about how frightened I am of my and how vulnerable I feel and how scared I am of my hatred and to speak to three other love, very loving people who understood it. And I have to quote one of my favorite poems uh, by Anthony Antonio Machado. Um, part of it is, um, last night as I was sleeping, I dreamt, marvelous error, that golden bees were making white combs and sweet honey out of my old failures. Thank you. I think it's why we started the year with the three refuges. It's like we built up that support of um, the possibility of freedom and the truth and Sangha in order to then, at this point, deal with these, these really big poisons, these really big hard things. Thanks, Bruce. Yeah, I'm, it's not easy looking at any of this, so thank you so much. In both sharings, I would say that um, it's almost, for me, I could sense the love and the fear of the hatred. I, the fear, the love, the hatred all feel very closely. They feel connected. And 
Yeah, the the fact that we can be with each other and and know, understand. Yeah, I'm human too. I know what you're saying. That's that's beyond words, <laughs> Charlotte. I was a little concerned about joining again. I've been very neglectful of coming to Sims. And when I saw the three people in um, in my breakout room, I almost burst into tears because I had talked to them before and it was so fabulous to know that people are still coming. And, and uh, the, the anger from me often comes into um, anger at myself for whatever and then blaming outside. It's not my fault that I'm angry. Anyway, so one of them said that compassion is something that they use to um, work with the anger. And I've known that a long time, but I'm going to be using that again. Thank you very much for all of you being here. Thank you, Charlotte. It's really nice to see you. Thank you for sharing. Bruce and Sean, are you, did you take your hand down or you are up again? Okay, go ahead, Sean. Sean, this time. Okay. When I was a little girl, I used to get really angry. I still get really angry. (laughs) (laughs) And I was so shamed for it. And, you know, sent to my room, sent to my room, which was really amazing because my father had a horrible temper. You know, but I was acting out the family anger. And um, so I so my the anger that I have inside of me is is coming up again in spades. And um, I think it's because I've been doing a lot of retreats. And so things are opening up and um, and I still have a lot of shame about the anger that I have and, and the hatred, I have hatred in me. I have rage in me. And, um, you know, I wouldn't admit that maybe I would maybe even say that out loud a month ago. Um, because I'm a Buddhist. (laughs) I don't want to embarrass myself. I'm a rageful Buddhist. (laughs) But you know what? It's true. And now I'm working with it and I'm getting a lot of help, which is good. And I'm practicing with it. And I just loved your talk, Lauren. You gave so many personal examples as well as examples from other teachers. And I was just so touched. I know I'm, I know I'm in exactly the right place because I'm going to free myself of this anger and rage. I just keep at it. And the picture of the monk. (laughs) There was a being that was completely the luminous mind. 
free of greed, hatred, and delusion. And just touched me. Thank you. Charlotte, you took your are you taking your hand down or up again? Yeah, I thought you were done. Anybody else have a word they want to share or just bless you all for sharing and for witnessing each other and being there. This is really hard stuff but it's important yeah so yeah i'm i'm really glad we're doing this and i will just kind of echo sean because when we started this topic <laughs> i was thinking that I only wanted to talk about the good Buddhist stuff. You know, I only wanted, you know, it's not right to talk about hate, you know, and how, how really hatred. It just feels like, oh, if I'm a good Buddhist, I, I can't do that. So it's, it brings up what, what, what we really do need to do. And, and, uh, I agree with whoever in your group said compassion because, Compassion is right, right next to that hatred, I think. So I didn't get to share with my group, so I'm sharing with you. Um, so now we're um, closing today. Thank you all for being here. And it's the end, so we'll just take a moment to, to um, offer merit and Meta for our practice this morning. And we appreciate all who joined us this morning, who are trying their best to follow the path, which reduces greed, hate, and delusion in the world. May all beings benefit. Thank you. Hope to see you again next week or the week after. <laughs>